0: Well, hello and welcome to the No Filter Needed podcast, where we cut the fluff, expel those myths and kick unobtainable standards to the curb. I am your host, Camilla Collins, self-image consultant, author and founder of multiple beauty and creative entertainment agencies. I am super passionate about empowering people to change their self-perception and reimagine not just the beauty, but the huge amount of power within themselves. And this podcast is in support of my mission to do just that. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the hashtag No Filter Needed podcast. And I am joined today by the lovely... Fiona Murden. Now, Fiona is an occupational psychologist and an award-winning author who has spent her career working with some of the world's most successful business leaders, entrepreneurs, surgeons, athletes, and just prominent people from across all different industries. And over the last two years, she has combined this with a focus on sharing behavioral science with a broader population. And she is on a mission to use her knowledge and expertise to make our lives just a bit better, easier, and healthier and Fiona believes passionately that psychology can be an invaluable resource part of an everyday toolkit which we have available to help understand our own as well as others behavior and positively influence it. So super excited
1: to welcome her in Fiona welcome hello. Thanks so much for having me it's fabulous to be here as you can see there is no filter on this end. (laughs)
0: Looking fabulous looking absolutely fabulous. Um, So thank you so much for for coming on and agreeing to do this. So you actually came onto my radar. Um, Gosh, this pandemic's ruined all concept of time for me. But when, yeah, end of, no, the year before, not last Christmas, the Christmas before, because I picked up your book. I think I was looking through the Business Book Awards and I saw this book, Defining You, which is right here. No, thank Um, you. And I took this to Bali with me. I went on a trip to Bali um, and I just devoured it. And I was like, this book is amazing. Um, And it's almost like a course kind of in itself. Uh, And I just got so much, so much from it anyway. So I started, started following you um, and have been ever since. And I just was like, I have to, I have to get you on. Um, And I think the best place to start, I mean, how did you get into psychology? Um, Where where did it all sort of start for you in the work that you're doing and the book and everything?
1: So when I, the books a lot came a lot later, but when I was at school, I was always, I mean, we're all fascinated by behavior. I think we're all curious about why people do things and say things. And, you know, why did she say that? Or why did I say that? And so there's always that curiosity. For me, I had, um, I struggled with my own mental health When I was a teenager, but I didn't know that until later, because it was a time when things weren't as diagnosed. Um, And I I wanted to work myself out, and I wanted to work out why did I feel the way I did. And also, I had this strong driver to try and help other people when other people were upset or stuck or muddled. And so I got interested in psychology because I thought, well, that way I can understand myself a bit better, and I can also hopefully help other people but when I went I then went off to you, well actually I had a physics teacher who said no don't do psychology do psychiatry do medicine and psychiatry so I got kind of taken off track a bit and started doing a levels for medicine and then thought I really don't want to do medicine my stepsister was a junior doctor and I looked at what she's doing and I thought I'm not committed enough I love the idea of medicine but it's not the best fit for me and then psychiatry is very different from psychology in that you're prescribing. And although you're still trying to understand behavior, it's it's more understanding the medical properties of behavior. And so I oh, anyway, I went off to uni to do psychology. And when I was doing the clinical psychology modules, I just thought I can't cope, I couldn't do this, I couldn't, I couldn't listen to people day in, day out. I just won't manage. I'm not robust enough. <laughs> So I went off and did um, a business master's and then went to work as a management consultant because it was the sort of the vaguest thing you could do, you know, it was like, that's what you do. And But I just kept getting drawn back to people, people, people stuff. And I thought this, this, it didn't feel like a good fit anyway, the consultancy. And a few people had said that to me before, but then I went into stubborn mode and I was like, well, I couldn't do it. (laughs) Um, And so I went back after four years, I went back to university to get my postgrad in MSc in Occupational Psychology with the aim of becoming a Charter Psychologist. But I then worked with leaders for more years than I would like to say and I always was thinking these aren't, I mean, I love helping anyone but these aren't the people I really want to help. So I thought, how can I get these tools and mechanisms out to a broader audience which is where writing the book came in? Um, And then a a friend helpfully said to me, who works with underprivileged kids, well, she works at school with underprivileged kids, and she's like, Fiona, they're not going to read your book, and nor are the teachers, which is where my, or the parents, which is where my second book came from. But my first book was very much about trying to sort of share some of those tools, democratise the process, get that stuff out there um, to a broad audience.
0: It's really, really great. Um, And uh, just listening to, actually, your... I guess your drive for what you do is, is almost kind of similar. Well, it is similar to mine. I think when we struggle with something ourselves and we want to, well, we have to kind of figure that out. It's only natural, particularly with mental health, um, to, to want to help others like through it, but, you know, it just raises your curiosity, doesn't it? And I think once you open that, once you go in there, you're like, Whoa, there's like so much here. There's like, you know, you could spend, well you do, you spend a lifetime, um, kind of figuring it all out um and there's so many different ways to kind of kind of look at things and like what's your so who do you who do you work with now like what who are your sort of clients mainly are you working with the people that you love to work with or is it a mix of
1: well I've had my own company for 13 years and during that time I've worked with people like um, the White Company, Dr. Martin's, Kath Kidston, Selfridges, Lloyd's of London, Renticle Initial, Wing Canton, all sorts of different organisations, and others that I can't mention. But exactly. um, self, I said Selfridges in time. Um, working with the leaders in those organisations, sometimes one on one, Network Rail's, another one, um, Southeast, and all sorts of different companies, Burberry. Um, sometimes it's working with one or two individuals there. Sometimes it's assessing people for a senior leadership role. And sometimes it's working more broadly on leadership and how that filters down through the organization or how that leadership team works most effectively together. Um, so I still do that. But I focus predominantly now on development rather than assessment. So developing, coaching, working with leaders in that respect. I've created a digital course of defining you which I've just piloted, yeah, so that was, was, it it was fab, I piloted it with 22 people in five different countries, so had US, UK, Australia, India, Holland, and just had amazing feedback, I was sort of thinking, oh my goodness, how am I going to manage this with time zones, but we managed to work it out, because it's live coaching every week, and um, so that was great, and then I'm also doing a lot of work on my second book, which is The Mirror Thinking, which is about role modeling and working with a charity called Future First, who match mentors with mentees in comprehensive schools across the UK. But I'm trying to get the pipeline further. So saying to corporates that I work with, do you want to mentor the, mente- the mentors who mentor these kids? So basically the 18 to 24 year old age group, will you mentor them? And then providing a lot of the tools for mirror thinking and defining you to the kids to the young adults to the teachers um and then there's also a leadership mirror thinking course which i'm piloting with a, a company who really nicely approached me and asked me if i would do it and i was like well yeah i was thinking of doing that anyway so if you want to pay me to do it that's great
0: <laughs> oh, i love that it's, it's so nice when things start slotting into place and yeah yeah well, you're like yeah i was gonna do that anyway but I will take the money and, and your support and your accountability to get it done as well. Because sometimes we just need that, that nudge, don't we?
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: a little bit of pressure to just get going, get going with stuff. Yeah. Um, oh, that's amazing. It sounds, sounds amazing about the the charity. And, and also quite similar to the Girls Network. I don't know if you know the Girls Network um, who match mentor and mentees. Yes, with- a team? yeah so that that i I've, I've supported them with with my book, so a percentage of um profits goes goes to them and similar thing but i love how you've you're using obviously your clients to kind of come in at the the top end and really have this nice progression and everybody helping everybody else because it feels really good doesn't it when we give back
1: um it and i also think it's about matching up natural systems because in a natural community like thousands not even thousands of years ago hundreds of years ago that would have happened in a community anyway but now we're so sort of dispersed and we've got so many barriers in the way that it's not happening so if we can recreate those systems in any way possible i think it's really helpful but the girls network um someone that i mentor is involved in the girls network and she keeps saying to me oh i must introduce you to them and i i do want to learn more about them because they sound fantastic and you know, I think one of the things I'm keen to do is pull together lots of different organisations that are doing the same thing because it's not about organisations competing. It's about how can we create more momentum and power behind this? And I think pulling people together is one way of doing that. So I'd love to love to hear more about them, but maybe we'd do that offline.
0: Yeah, oh, absolutely, definitely. Um, yeah, and that's right. It's just you've got much bigger power when everybody pulls together rather than being divided and, and separated and as you said sort of competing and we can achieve much better things so yeah we'll, we'll totally have totally have a chat about that I will hook you yeah. up <laughs> um oh there's, there's honestly so many like I just psychology is just fascinating for me and there is so many areas that I could ask you on Um, but I I noticed there was one thing uh well there's actually two posts you put recently on Instagram um but you did say uh in a recent post that social media has been described to be more addictive than cigarettes and alcohol and so I just wanted to use that to to go into kind of your view on on social media um and what it what it does to people you know how it affects people how people are using it perhaps maybe something um that you've seen uh sort of developing because it you know it's really ramped up a gear um lots of gears over the last few years and i just wonder what your you know opinion of it is
1: so um i had a really personally negative opinion of it mm-hmm. uh, but I wanted to know the science, which my husband always tells me because you can actually go with what you feel rather than trying to look at science all the time. But anyway, I wanted to know science because people were asking for my advice on it and advice for kids and teenagers. And so I look more into what evidence do we have? Um, And it's difficult because it's moving so fast to do comparative studies, which is normally how these sorts of things work to find the real, really strong evidence. But what we are seeing is that where social media is used to properly communicate. I mean, it's not surprising. Some of these things you think, well, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Where social media is used to properly connect and communicate, it's actually positive. Mm-hmm. So for teenagers in lockdown, for example, if um, they're FaceTiming or if they're sending proper messages to each other and communicating or outside a lockdown, if it's used to arrange to meet up, that's great. If it's used in a small dose, in other ways that's fine too but as soon as it goes over a certain limit so over I think I can't remember the limits they're saying but it's like half an hour to an hour there's two impacts one it takes you away from good things so if you're on social media you're not exercising you're not outside with your head up breathing in fresh air you're not face to face connecting with someone You're not um, learning. We might be learning, but not in the way that, you know, we're learning by doing and observing and really experiencing the world. We're not sleeping. Um, So there's all these things that it's taking away from. So that's one impact. Then, Then the other impact is scrolling. And if you think about it, what you're seeing is lots of itty bitty pieces of information. We're not seeing a whole picture. And so... We're not actually feeding the emotional systems of our brain, which need constant nurturing. It's like this constant learning you talked about with psychology, you're constantly learning. But actually, as humans, we're constantly needing to learn about who we are, how we fit in the world around us, what that means. And we also need to constantly feed the empathic systems of our brain. They're like muscles, so they can wither. And actually, the impact is it's reducing levels of empathy in younger populations. But that in itself then undermines mental health. But then, of course, there's there, there are another group of um, individuals who are more prone to find it negative because of mental health. And then you could go through a whole other thing where you have Kim Kardashian sort of representing false images of herself or someone or the, someone. Um, highlighting self-harm and, and making out that's a good thing. Those things can become contagious very quickly on social media, which also has a negative impact.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with I agree with all of that. Um yeah, I, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship because, you know, yes, it does, you know, it's great for connection, particularly, you know, in lockdown. Um and there is some good stuff on it. I, I just feel it's uh you know it's kind of playing with fire a little bit, you know, to really manage your time on it. Um, and I'm really interested to, yeah, to know like the the science kind of behind it. And it's really interesting you saying about the little bits of information that we're getting, um, and not kind of well. And that's it. We're not getting the full picture. And and also that's what we're looking at with other people's lives. Um, you know, we're we're kind of jumping to conclusions or filling in the gaps incorrectly most of the time, uh, with you know body image, fitness transformations, things like that um and you know i talk in my book about it being you know marketer's playground as well on sort mm. of the subliminal messages kind of coming in i just i just think it's really dangerous um and but it's here to stay isn't it it's not it's not going anywhere um so it's it's another another thing to manage in our lives uh, another management. Ooh, and
1: I, don't, I don't think it's fair to put the onus on the user and i hate that word user cuz that in itself sounds like a an addictive thing doesn't it the user but i don't think it's fair to put the onus on us i think there needs to be regulation and i don't mean regulation like big brother regulation i mean let's look at the behavioral implications of this let's look at what's good for people and but the problem is the commercial giants have such a foothold in it that are we going to get there i don't know i mean i so there's you might have seen Tristan Harris he always I can't remember how he says his name he says Tristan Harris or something but Tristan (laughs) Harris (laughs) he sent up up the Center for Humane Technology and um, he he did the Social Dilemma documentary which unfortunately with my science hat on I was like "Mm, it's not all actually accurate But, but It's an interesting counter to everything else that's going on and it caught people's attention, which was positive. It's just a shame that he got some of the bits wrong. What
0: Um, of
1: the bits were wrong? uh, Things (laughs) around um, psychometrics, some of the stuff, some of the stuff was cut in a strange way. There was also, which changed the messaging, there was also the impression that these people have created something knowingly they haven't. It's, you know, my husband's a, a digital He's a partner at McKinsey and Digital, and, and I know all the ins and outs of this stuff, and it kind of becomes a beast unto itself. No one's sat there cleverly going, oh, how can we create something that's going to do this? And then it's been taken advantage of because suddenly you're drawing all the data. But it's really hard. I mean, I, I'm chief science officer for a startup, um, and we we're, we're, it's a tech platform which uh, is for retail and hospitality. It's about getting learning and behavioral tools to people on shop floor. And I mean, they get really irritated with me because I'm banging on about the ethics all the time. But I'm like, we, it, you don't know how it can exponentially get out of your control very quickly. And so you have to put those guardrails in quite early on. Um, but doing that when you're up against the commercials is really hard. Yeah,
0: well, there's. Yeah you know it's caring about it. more importance on the bottom line isn't it really mm-hmm. um, and also all the people to go through as well it's like a big machine to kind of move or change their ways I, I would have thought um, so yeah it can be can be tricky do you feel that you know people are kind of coming around a bit more to you know not not ignoring things and being a bit more mindful I guess um, like corporations and things in, in how they're messaging and, and their tactics, I guess, as well?
1: I think the hard thing with corporations is they're not in a, as a body. They don't have that accountability or desire to understand and ethically connect with an individual. So that all sounds rather pompous, but it, it's, it's not like if you take one individual, it's a bit like, this is a bit extreme, but if you look at what Hitler did, he created momentum behind something which meant that no individual felt they were accountable for the horrible things they were doing. And, And I feel like with companies, because they sort of get this momentum up, no individual is sort of saying, it's my responsibility, I don't want people to feel like this. So it just keeps going. And so we do really need people to stand up against it, to be able to change it. And it's not fair for people who are sitting at the other end of social media to be responsible for that because it's our way of living at the moment. It's our way of connecting. And if you cut yourself off, you're cutting yourself off from your social network because that is the way other people are using it.
0: So, right. And I find that a really interesting thought as well about responsibility and people not taking or it's like the the blame thing or, or just it's someone else's duty, it's someone else's responsibility, not pointing specifically, but I think taking responsibility for yourself um, is, and your actions and things like that, it's actually a really like empowering thing to do because it means you kind of, you know, you have, con- you have more control over your life, over kind of situations because you can deal with them. Whereas if you're so used to, not taking responsibility or, or thinking it's someone else's problem or duty um, then it, it actually leaves you very powerless to certain circumstances or, or events when they do come along um, which means you're not equipped you, mentally you haven't kind of built that strength to to deal with them I don't know if you'd agree with that or if I make yeah no I
1: totally agree yeah. and I uh, it's also there's you know, research suggests we're only actually in conscious control of five percent of our cognitive activity so, you know, it's really important that we focus that 5% in the right direction. <laughs> so that everything that happens underneath is going the right way, as it were. Um, and I, th- I mean, I personally really believe in awareness and consciousness, but we can't be aware and conscious of everything. So it's understanding where to focus that attention and how to prioritise that. And that partly comes back to understanding ourselves. So what works for me? And what's what's sort of like is almost like creating a manual or a guidebook to you, because we all have different needs and wants and preferences and hot spots and um, irritations and all those things.
0: So I'm just like yes, yes, yes. So all of this, like, yeah, I just, self-awareness, I just think it's absolute key. And you saying about a manual, I, I you know, I always say that things are easier to operate when you have a manual, you know, or a flat pack furniture, you're putting together, like you have a manual and the more you can work on that and build your own manual, the easier it is to navigate your life and you can yeah. navigate yourself better and and everything kind of outside of you if you, if you learn more. Um, so yeah, I'm totally pro self-awareness. What, what are your... I guess, what, what are your kind of tips um, for people to increase their self-awareness or, or build their self-awareness? Are there any kind of go, go-to go activities, as it were, or, or things that you suggest people do?
1: So there's there's one thing that I always point out. And I, I'm really lucky that I'm connected with Tasha Urich, who did the TED Talk on self-awareness. She's done loads of research on it. Um, and we had a good old chat about this but. She puts it really nicely. So there's a difference between what, why and how. So when we're looking at self-awareness, when we're looking at increasing our understanding of ourselves, if we go down the why, we can end up going in rabbit holes. And we sort of ruminate, we'll question, we'll introspect. Why did I say that? Why did they do that to me? Why did that happen? Why am I feeling like this? Whereas if you say what, what was the reason behind that? What could I do differently? What does that tell me? It changes it quite dramatically and quite easily. So what I'm trying to say is there are two approaches to self-awareness. There's one that's a light touch, it's a curious, it's exploratory and it's fantastic and it's so good for you. There's another that can take you down a really negative path where you start getting yourself into holes and the, the harder you look for things, the harder it will become to find the answer because the way our brain works. So our brain hasn't evolved to be uh, to be solved, where, but we think it has because everything in the outside world can be solved. And so I think the approach to self-awareness is this light, curious, exploratory. And then it's looking at things, and I say sort of through the lens of a detective, you might remember, you've kindly read my book. Um, it's saying, well, yeah, who's your favorite detective? I mean, I love Miss Marple, so what would Miss Marple do? Well, she observes situations and she thinks, oh, why do they get angry when I say that? Oh, so I've said why again, but <laughs>
0: <laughs> what is
1: it that, it's really hard. What is it that, <laughs> What is it that's making them angry when I say that? What What have I done? What have I said? Or what makes them happy? What is it that I do that makes them smile? But how do they respond when I say it X, Y, and Z? So it's starting to notice how people react to you. Mm-hmm. And then also noticing how you react to the outside world. So just observing, actually, I get really irritated when that happens. What does that tell me? Or I get really excited when I talk about that. What does that tell me? Mm-hmm. And then so there's those things that you can do. You can ask simple questions of people. So you could say to people, what excites me? So you ask a really good friend. They'll tell you something that might really surprise you. When do I get animated? When do I look really pissed off? What gets under my skin? So ask them, but do it, again, do it in a fun and a light way. So that's, that's. I mean, there's lots of different ways. There's all sorts of different ways, like exploring your story, line, your personal narrative there's I mean it's it's fun it's actually they're never ending but in a really positive and fun way trying to understand and raise your self-awareness
0: I think that's the the key is to have fun with it and not look at it as like you know this kind of deep dark place that you have to kind of go to to figure out the the meaning of life and your motives and it's like just be playful um playful with yourself and curious Yeah. And yeah. And yeah. So the, yeah, the, the timeline um, is a great exercise in, in the book, sort of mapping that out. Because as you say, the, the clues are there um, as to what you're, um, you know, what you've been passionate about for a long time, what really gets under your skin. um, You know, these things don't, don't leave us and things get busy. I remember, yeah, I remember sitting there kind of working through it and I was just like, wow, God, yeah, like not a lot's massively changed me these things still kind of annoy me um but they just look like something else now but actually it's the same thing um that was there all along so I'm so glad you turned it into a digital course that's uh that's amazing.
1: It's actually readers so, that, so, that's got me thinking about it um and then I've got the second editions coming out in May and so it kind of made sense to do it around that but it was other people asking me and then with the pilot it was really weird because someone said to me the other day how did you find people to do the pilot and I was like uh I just started saying I was doing it and people started saying, can I be on it? And I had such a wide range of people. I had um, a friend who's a doctor and a neuroscientist from New York. I had a stay-at-home mum who lives locally. Um, I had two directors of Network Rail, two directors from J.P. Morgan, my literary agent, uh, a friend. you know, It was just a really diverse group of people, but it was just... I was actually dreading the group coaching sessions because I thought I I just didn't think I was going to enjoy them. I won't go into why, but I just didn't think I was. And I absolutely loved it. I looked forward to it every week and I was gutted when it was coming to an end. You know, I, I was just like, oh, I literally was teary in the last sessions because um, I just didn't want it to end. So it's a great experience and it, it's fantastic because I think not everyone has got, the drive to work through a book on your own. And putting it into a course, I partner people up as well. So I say to people, bring a friend or bring someone you work with. And and then part of it is guided how you work with your partner. It just brings it to life more and it makes it makes more sense of it, I think, if you're not doing it on your own.
0: Absolutely. And I think not only have you kind of got the accountability like there, you're not, it's not so scary, I guess, you know, doing it on your own. And normally um you know I could I guess with my I've, I've seen many a therapists in my time and I, you know I've seen lots of people I'm I'm quite aware with this stuff so I can I can do it but for someone to just pick up this book who, who probably really really needs it um it's a, it would be a, a very um overwhelming and maybe confusing and scary place to kind of do on their own so I think even having someone with you and I think it's really important anyway to just to kind of ch- for perspective and to sound out ideas and sound out our Absolutely. thoughts as well. Um, that, that's part, that's a massive part of it. I think actually if you don't have that, then, then you're missing kind of the whole point of it, particularly when you're saying about being a detective.
1: It just unlocks things. And I think, you know, when we say things out loud, they make more sense. It's as simple as that. When they're in our heads, it's harder to make sense of them. I mean, there was, there was one set of, uh, people who were on it uh, one of the ladies was 59 she'd just come through breast cancer and she said she didn't really think that she needed to be self-aware she didn't realize the the sort of the passion and power it would give her by being more self-aware and she now feels totally empowered and like she's she can change and there's a road ahead and I was like wow that's I mean what more could you ask that's that's what it's about. It's absolutely. giving everyone, everyone the keys to themselves, as it were.
0: Yeah, it, it, empowerment. I think that just is the is the word. And again, it's kind of a word that's got flung around a lot, like a lot of mm. things that go on trend <laughs> on social media and get hashtag life out of. Um, but but yeah, it's it's just in and it, you know it's confidence in it's self confidence building, isn't it? And
1: absolutely
0: and building. And and so actually, I was going to ask you so self confidence and self esteem what's the difference between the two
1: so self-confidence from a technical perspective self-confidence is about achieving a goal um and self-esteem is about the internal dialogue we have Right. so I might say and you can be different have different levels of self-confidence with different things so I I love snowboarding so you put me at the top of any slope and I would love to go down it you know, put some rocks in there. Great bit of a challenge. Love it. <laughs> if you if you put me, I don't know. Trying to think of something that I don't like so much. Um, if you put, if you were to put me uh, in in an English class, so English was my worst subject, and you'd ask me to discuss the literary meaning of something, then I wouldn't have as much confidence because with that goal in mind. I'm not as good and self-confidence you can improve by literally throwing yourself into things so you don't know if you can dive off the 10 meter board unless you try to dive off the 10 meter board and then once you've done it you have more belief that you can do it again but self-esteem is this whole thing around self-compassion um self-care it's what the way we talk to ourselves and I for example um, pretty self-confident so I will throw myself at things um but my self-esteem is awful so I put myself in this really strange position where I'll put myself out there and I do things but then if I get any sort of like feedback that it's not quite how I want it to be I'm crushed because (laughs) my self-esteem my internal voice will start going whizzing away like 100 miles an hour Um, and it's something i need to work on because it's not healthy it's but but it's also you you ask anyone and they'll have some negative voices in their head there's no one who hasn't but it's how much can you turn the volume down on that and turn the volume up on a, the more self compassionate way of of um experiencing life
0: it's like it's like the mirror's talking back to me in terms of having that self-confidence and then yeah you know the uh, self-esteem and taking things kind of really like you know sort of in your gut and then yeah once that negative self-chatter kicks off then it you know you go you go places that you don't want to go um and again awareness you know awareness that it's there I think there's you know some people that aren't even aware they just think oh that's just the way it is like that's how it is and it's like well I think the more aware you can get of it and the more you can section it out or get good at interrupting it um the more that you can intervene and not let it i think it's like healthy habits and bad habits the more times you vote for a good habit in your day whatever it is the the more you kind of build that if you're voting more on the bad habit side then things start on the decline and the same with the the positive or the negative talk that's going on in our heads if we can intervene and and put it back on course in a in a kind of a good way the the stronger we get at doing that or the better we get at doing that. Then I think the the more, the better we get, <laughs> at you know, yeah. at, at building our, you know, steam and getting, keeping on the straight and narrow as much as possible, um, and, and being happy and calm and fulfilled and not anxious and angry and stressed or sad, um, yeah. so awesome yeah. and emotional wisdom. So this is literally the latest post that I saw on Instagram, because I thought I'd just hop over. morning before I saw you and I was like oh this is great so you did a you did a TED talk TEDx talk um in March
1: yeah so uh, just over a week ago London School of Economics I was meant to do it in person last March then it was changed to being in person this March and then it ended up being video recorded which was painful for me because as I said at the beginning I hate video recording so talking giving a talk to a camera wasn't my favorite way of doing it. Because although I, like everyone, get nervous going on stage, once I'm on stage, I love interacting with the audience. And even with, I mean, with a TED talk, you're delivering rather than interacting as much, but you still see the responses of people and that gives you energy. Mm. It's It was very difficult for me doing it without that because it felt like acting, which is about the furthest from anything I'm capable of doing in my life. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I did it and, um, I, I, they've said that the link will be available at some point, um, but my, that was a message from my um, from my TED talk. Yes,
0: Amazing. and I talked about
1: social media in there as well. And
0: you have to watch that when when the link's out. But I'm just gonna grab the quote because I pinned it to my desktop, uh, where you said we all have great potential for empathy, which forms the foundation of emotional wisdom, allowing us to now only understand, not only understand ourselves, but to infer what other people are thinking. And I just thought was a really great quote, because again, it's about learning about ourselves and learning about other people and building that emotional wisdom so that we can add value to other people's lives, but also add value to our own lives at the same time. And it's the two working together, isn't it that the two go hand in hand, you can't really have one without the other.
1: well, I, get, I mean, I give a shocking story in the TED Talk about a girl who grew up with dogs. Um, and when she was found, she couldn't talk. She walked on all fours. Um, she scavenged through rubbish for food. And it's an awful but a stark demonstration of how we actually need other people to develop the systems in our brain. They don't just come ready and, you know, we kind of think that we learn those things, but we don't think about where we learn them from or how we learn them. We just think, oh, a baby doesn't have them, but by the age of eight, you know, you can talk, you can interact, you can smile, you can laugh, you can see if someone's angry. But but we forget how, and the how has been through thousands and thousands of interactions with other people. And, and actually our brain has to mirror what another brain is doing, and then that enables us to infer and to build up our understanding but that's how empathy develops um and that's why empathy can be diminished as it were through things like social media because we're taking time away from those interactions those that are essential really for feeding who we are as humans
0: absolutely and uh, you just you got me thinking i mean that really stresses doesn't it how important it is to be aware of the people that you're spending time with the, the most time with if that's, you know, if we are kind of mirroring, cause that goes on. Okay. Obviously a lot in sort of childhood and early on, but even now, you know, we're constantly adapting cause we want to fit in, don't we? We want to be part Absolutely. of the, the pack and be, and feel connected. So if we're around, you know, people that aren't hugely supportive of us, or the, you know, maybe the right people for us, that can be hugely damaging.
1: Can be, and it's it's incredible actually because we kind of think of teenagers as being more susceptible to it, and um, they are more hyper vigilant of their peers in terms of their social brain is developing quite dramatically at that time. But we are as influenced as adults as we are, but we're when we're teenagers, but we are less conscious of it. So actually, it makes it more critical to become conscious of it because always we're being pushed and pulled in ways that we're not even aware of like like to your point like what you're saying
0: yeah and i think there's you're a lot busier and distracted i think the world in general is now um or maybe that's just cuz i've grown up but i mean i think when you're older you've got more um you know more responsibilities more kind of commitments and things going on that actually it's it, it the awareness kind of goes a bit and you do fall into being in environments and things that probably aren't supporting you and think nothing of it but actually it's doing it's doing damage subconsciously you're not you know if you keep on doing it and and focusing on the million other things you've got to do like the kids and the family and, and the work and the career and everything um, so i think that's a really great point of taking more notice of it um, and tuning in a bit more and not being so distracted
1: And it's really important to to have relationships that nurture who you are. And that doesn't mean cutting off people. You know, we've got family members who might not be as positive or um, things like that. But it doesn't mean cutting those people off. But it's being really aware before you see those people and making a decision not to let it impact you. And one little tip. I mean, actually, in the second edition, I close with visualisation because I've always sort of used visualization with clients, so when uh, leaders are doing big talks and things, but I haven't used it systematically or really got onto the surface of it. And I did a podcast with, I I do a podcast with a friend of mine who's a sports psychologist. And we got into visualization and I was like, wow, you know, this could be, it's, it's so powerful if you deliberately create a visualization script in the way that athletes do. Mm -hmm. and it's it's a really powerful way because you say oh well you know I'll decide before I see my I know it's all alien to us at the moment because we're not seeing other people but I decide before I see Auntie Joan I know she's going to attack me I'm not going to let it impact me and then you see Auntie Joan and it does make you feel like you're really little and belittled and it does impact you but with visualization it takes us into a calm state like hypnosis And if we practice seeing Auntie Joan beforehand and it not impacting us, then it allows our subconscious to take, uh, take that route when we're in that situation, rather than taking the routes always taken, which is Auntie Joan makes me feel belittled or horrible or whatever. So visualisation is a really helpful tool in that when you've got those situations. So firstly, choose the people you surround yourself with. And secondly, where you can't use visualisation ahead of time to protect yourself.
0: I think that's such such a great point. And we, we did a we did a live session on Instagram yesterday. I am gonna not go into it. T- into too much detail. What I've actually been doing this with myself, the thought of because it's like lockdowns, you know, lifting, lifting and just waiting for that moment. I know what's going to happen is it's going to be like, yeah, you know, sort of out. And then everything kind of falls to, to chaos as well because you haven't thought further ahead than that moment. So I think, you know, visualizing and preparing yourself for all eventualities, you know, just allows you to plan a little bit better. So you're not out. Constantly, you know, eating and drinking and socializing with friends that ruins your diet and, you know, hangovers creeping because it's all celebration, lockdowns lifted, you know, things like that. Um, You know, it's just remembering to think further ahead uh, in order to plan and and visualize how you're going to handle the situation of like, you know, no, I can't do this. And, you know, what you're willing to compromise as well. So remembering to forward things. I think we can get trapped in the moment. Well, I certainly can.
1: and this is where i have you know with the mindfulness thing i think mindfulness is brilliant it's such a powerful tool if you learn to do it properly so it's like um i I just called a podcast with russ harris who's brilliant he wrote a book called the happiness trap which is yes yes so um, he's he's wonderful he's such a nice man but he said You know, his son came home from school and he'd been doing colouring and it was called mindfulness. And he's like, that's not mindfulness. That's relaxation. So there's one aspect that's actually understanding what mindfulness is, is really important. If you're going to have if it's going to have an impact, positive impact. But the other thing that I think we're lost in is we're so concerned with mindfulness that we're forgetting or not aware of the fact that reflection and projection are also really important to our mental health. So. doing it in the right way that's not worrying about what's to come and it's not worrying about and and sort of ruminating over what's happened but constructively reflecting and actually constructively daydreaming as it's called in technical terms i love that word daydreaming um it's really important it's really really important and like you say it's i mean actually it's planning your time because if you don't plan your time you your life is taken on a route that you don't want it to go on well other people you
0: know if you don't plan your day other people will run your day for you or other mm-hmm. things um and the same for the the week the month and the year I think
1: Absolutely.
0: uh but That's- it's, it's hard because we're told like be in the moment be present no. be, it's like yes all very well and do that but also as you said you need to reflect back just to you know every now and again to kind of realize you know recognize how how kind of far you've come with things and also see the lessons and the learning um but then also not live too far in the future so you're living in the future um which hasn't kind of happened yet but you know projecting a little bit in order to plan so you know where you're going like is the right direction
1: absolutely and i and this is the thing that i get really passionate about as well is that with psychology we really need to understand the whole thing because when we're given bits of information it can send off send us off down the wrong track so if we're told be in the moment and be mindful and we're not told how to be mindful and we're not actually you know told well actually you should be reflecting because we learn more from reflecting once we've got a skill than we do from doing and you know visualization and daydreaming and and how does it all fit together and what does this mean in my life and what does this mean to me and which tools work for me and so and, and that's another danger with social media is we're getting some great messages some really good information but it's also bitty and people don't know how to fit it all together in the context of who they are and what their life is
0: and they get stressed about it and anxious yes, and feel exactly. like, oh,
1: because suddenly right. they feel like they're doing something wrong because they're not doing it the way you're meant to do it
0: yeah i agree and and you know i used to have that with meditation i was i used to get so frustrated i'm not very good at sitting still at all um i can't even do a yoga class that's just i need to be spinning or something um <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah you know just there's other ways of, of doing things but sometimes it's sort of laid out you know even self care in itself. Um, people say why have you got a problem with this word I don't have a problem with the word I just it's been thrown about so much um and you know the what it's the associations but again it depends on what you're what you're viewing and we're viewing so much on so much different stuff on social media I think everybody's got their own take on on everything and I think we assign our own meanings to everything anyway don't we even Mm you know words something you might view as positive I might view as negative or, or something like that um but I think, I think everything's open to interpretation, isn't it? And again, it comes back to that. Have fun with it. You know, be playful, be curious, assign your own meaning. What, what does it mean for you? Not why, what <laughs> does it mean for you?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's looking at things in context. And that's where something like Russ Harris and acceptance and commitment therapy is fantastic to help understand how everything works. As Ross Harris describes it, it's a process. So it's not a technique, it's a process. And you can, there are so many different techniques within that, that you can try. And he, you know, you've got his book. He doesn't say, he doesn't have that sort of do this and if you don't, you failed kind of message. I mean, I know people actually say that. He's like, give this a go. And if it doesn't work, that's okay, try this um but he really puts everything within context which I love
0: <laughs> sorry you were saying about the happiness um uh, yeah failure so um people saying about failing
1: was I I can't remember I um sorry. <laughs> no, sorry. sorry it's not your fault I mean to be honest if you ask me anything two minutes after I've said it I'll have forgotten because <laughs> my brain works
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's all of us it's just like oh <laughs> We're just on a high. Alert. There's always stuff going on, and again, Oh, screw. Up. <laughs> oh, um, oh my goodness. So I'm. I, you know, I, I'm just looking at the time. Anyway, like, uh, thank you so much for for coming on on the show and having this chat. It's been absolutely awesome. So, just tell me. I should. I. It's on my list of things to do to look up mirror, mirror thinking, isn't it? The next book your second book yeah um but while I have you here tell me about the book what's in it before I go purchase it straight after this call
1: (laughs) thank you so mirror thinking how role models make us human it's it's bringing the neuroscience to people in a way that you know my mum said I'm not going to understand it and she read it she said I I could understand it it made sense I was like well good because that's what it's meant to do but it's basically taking us through the journey from birth to Where we are now but in understanding the impact that other people have had on forming who we are and just looking at that and then how the mirror system in the brain works which is around all sorts of things observational learning so how we learn by watching and interacting empathy imagination daydreaming storytelling how all those things work and then at the end it's how good role models impact us how bad role models impact and how we can use role models to positively change the world
0: I love it it's right up my street um brilliant and the role model thing as well and that really links back nicely to what you're doing at the moment with um with the the mentor you've got you've got mentee mentor and another mentor because a mentors a mentor yeah. isn't
1: it no, I um, mean it's, it's, it's great, great situation yeah. <laughs> yes, that's a great. I like that. It's a great analogy. And the future first, the CEO. I, the first call I had with her, she said, um, "I've just finished reading Mirror Thinking." I was like, "Oh, oh, great, thank you." And she's like, "Can we put it on our website?" And and I was like, "Yeah, totally." Um, and so what I want to do is that's the that's the how the what that's the what. <laughs> And I want to look at the how. So what do we actually do with this? And so we're going to use it um, with Future First to sharpen some of their processes. So say, well, what's all the research telling us? Not just neuroscience, but social psychology, anthropological research. What's it telling us? How does mentoring work most effectively? And how can we put that into the relationships Um, and train the mentors and the mentees to enable that, that relationship to be the best vehicle for people to fulfill their potential.
0: I love it. Yeah, important. And growing on that just, yeah, because it shouldn't just be a given, like, you know, you just, you teach what you know to that, but you know, there's. Well, actually, there's
1: yeah, I mean, the problem is actually some, in some places where mentoring has been put in place as a, as a really positive strategy um, in terms of intent, it actually creates problems um, because it's not done properly. The relationships not built effectively. The the mentors are not supported, um, and it's not understood. In some areas, for example, crime rates go up once these mentoring schemes are put in place because they're not properly. It's a long. It's it's in the book. It's a long story, but basically, there's a right way and a wrong way of doing it. And whilst it seems like a natural process, it is. But we have to remove some of the obstacles that are in the modern world to make it work.
0: And I think and the foundations are just so important in, in any relationship, aren't they? Whether it's, you know, a mental mentee, a personal relationship or work relationship. If the, if, the foundation, or the, if the foundations for anything aren't correct, then the whole thing's, you know, gonna fall apart. Um, it's not built absolutely.
1: And you can't yeah, build a
0: on top of it either. You can't get no. past a certain point.
1: Yeah. And I love that because there's a, there's an image in the videos that I've done for di- the, the digital course. There's actually one image where I have someone building the foundations to a house and say exactly what you've just said.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I think I've got quite a visual mind, which I'm sure you do as well, that. in terms of, yeah, and that's how you how you come up with these things. So that's, that's good. Great.
1: Oh. I know you're loving the Russian dolls. That one's going to get used. Yeah. And I will we'll attribute it to you.
0: Thank you. <laughs> Ah, oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much. So um, we've got Defining You book, and we've got Mirror Thinking, which I will be purchasing. Um, and you've also got your podcast as well, dot to
1: dot Yeah, podcast, dot to dot podcast. The Mirror uh, Defining You second edition coming out in um, May. There's a, I've re- rewritten 22,000 words of it, so I'll send you an updated version of that. And I actually talk about how to deal with social media in it. Um, and how to take your own personal approach to using social media most effectively and, and what that looks like. That's one of the things in the, in the second edition, so.
0: Amazing, and I think really, really important update as well.
1: That's and it's, getting... not about, it's not about not using social media, but it's about using it in the way that works best for you. And to do that, you kind of have to put a little bit of effort into just reflecting and working out what that means.
0: Awesome, but, so that, that's in May.
1: That's how, I think they said 27th of May, but my first publisher tends to change their mind quite a lot. Um That's <laughs> people. Sorry. That's other people. People. <laughs> That's a, well, I don't know, Bloomsbury, my second publisher have been absolutely amazing. Um, not say, Holly, you're brilliant on Facebook. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're not recording,
0: are we? <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> oh brilliant um great and then yeah if people want to want to find you um and just go and check out like plug away your social media handles and website and whatever please
1: so yes they're all just me so twitter's fiona murden instagram fiona underscore murden linkedin fiona murden um yeah i think it is i don't go and then facebook and um my website is www.fionamurden.com. So it's all very simple. It's just my name.
0: Streamlined. I like yeah. It.
1: Consistency.
0: Yeah. Another great thing.
1: It's quite thing. useful having a name that not many people have because it means I can kind of grab those handles. Love
0: it. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so, nice so, so, much. so much. Thank you
1: Thank so, you so much.
0: So great to meet you, finally. You too. <laughs> Take care, Fiona. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got some good takeaways from today. And if so, then please do leave a review. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode and you can find further insights and tools over at camillacollins.com.